Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. The following is an exclusive presentation of the Carolina Panthers and the National Football League. This is Panther Talk on the Carolina Panthers Radio Network. The message is we still keep it one at a time. You know, as I talked about um, a couple of weeks ago when we finished that game, we have to go do something that we haven't done all all year, which is went on the road, you know, uh, and have an opportunity to be able to win back-to-back games. So that's our focus this week. And now, along with Eugene Robinson, Here's Anish Shroff with Panther Talk, live from the Panthers broadcast facility at Bank of America Stadium. And happy Monday, December the 5th. It's Panther Talk, jam-packed show for you today. We've got Mina Kimes from NFL Live, NFL analyst for ESPN. Jordan Reed covers the NFL draft. We'll hear from Sam Franklin. We'll hear from Tay Hayes. And, of course, we kick off the show like we do every week with Panthers head coach Steve Wilkes. Coach, uh, the bye week is over. When we last left you a week ago Monday, you said you were going to clean your garage. So can we get an update on the state of your garage? You would ask me that at least. You know it. You know it. Oh, yeah. I got to be honest with you. Um, I have some other things to do, so I got a little uh, distracted. <laughs> I know our fans are happy to hear that, though. Um, obviously, you guys are putting in the work. You've got Seattle this week. But um, l- let's start with the news of the day. I know a lot's been made of it. What went into the decision to uh, to part ways with Baker Mayfield? Well, uh, a, a, a lot of things, and I, and I felt like, uh, Sam was going in the right direction based off the performance I saw him uh, do uh, last week against Denver. Uh, PJ has been consistent, and uh, it was a tough decision on my part, uh, a very tough decision, and you know, and, and really wanting to try to do the right thing for this football team. And Baker's only been a, a total professional uh, throughout this whole process, and I wanted to give him the opportunity. We wanted to give him the opportunity to be able to uh, seek employment with another team. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what happened today. So uh, I wish him well. And, uh, again, he was he was definitely a, a true pro while he was here with us. Coach, on that last part that you talked about, the way Baker handled himself here, when he came, there was a lot of outside noise and a lot of outside perception as to who he was and how he might handle himself in a situation. Can you speak to – the kind of person he was in the locker room and off the field? 
man, he was he was a true teammate. And I, I think if you ask anybody in that locker room, they would tell you, you know, all these guys, and, and I talked to them, you know, everybody wants to start. And there's only 11 positions out there, as, as we know. And um, to be in, in, in a row as he was, very competitive, uh, and, and not to have that uh, that starting in, in no job, uh, he didn't take the back seat. You know, he was still a great teammate uh, to the other quarterbacks who were playing. Uh, he was a great teammate in that locker room. You saw him celebrating one game with the offensive lineman head button. Yeah. You know, those guys when they came off the field. So I can't speak, uh, you know, uh, on, only on, on high praises uh, in regards to Baker. And, Coach, uh, this is Eugene. Neither did you take a back seat. And I want to talk about the coach, the defensive uh, line coach that you let go because during this time of the season, it's very hard to put places, put pieces in places and things of that nature. You just let a quarterback go and also a coach. Can you talk about that, sir? Well, uh, um, a lot of respect for uh, for Paul Pascaloni. You know, he, he's been he's been around for a long time. A great coach, um, uh, but I felt the need for a change, and and nothing in regards to him. Uh, but I, I wanted to be able to, uh, you know, spark that room a little bit, change some things around. And um, so far, it's been great. Those guys have responded. And I, I think coming off that uh, that 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 particular week, I think we had five sacks in that in that game. You know, so uh, those guys are playing well up front. You know how we built on both sides of the ball. It starts up front. And I've uh, been very pleased with the performance. And being built, how you know how you built. Coach, can you talk about the character that you see developing on the offensive side of the ball, um, particularly with the advent of Sam Darnold getting back in the mix? Well, uh, I, you know, my personality and in, in, in how uh, I was raised in my makeup is just straight blue collar. You know, you, know, you, you, have, you bring your lunch pail to work each yep. and every day. Uh, and, and you just grind, you know, and that's the uh, the mentality and the and the things I tried to put up front with the offensive line. Going all the way back to when I first took over with the Rams game, you know, we we're gonna start uh, everything we do starts up front in the identity. So those guys have truly adopted that philosophy. Uh, they've taken on the challenge each week, man, and you know. Anybody on this team would tell you I love my big guys. You know, I I, I cater to those guys up front, so. Uh, you know, as they go, we go as a team. Coach, I'm not going to let Eugene off the hook that easily. Eugene kind of moseyed in <laughs> about three minutes into the yes, show. Did, so, Coach. so what's the, um, you know, if somebody rolls in I would like be fine. three minutes late I would for be a fine. team meeting, <laughs> what's, what's the fine procedure there? Yes. Well, well, Eugene knows. He, he's been he's been at this thing for oh, a yes. long time. So, uh, I, I would quietly just, you know, everything I tell guys, man, it's just a speed bump. No distractions. Come in, sit down. But you will get that letter. In your, in you will your get locker. a letter in your locker that says you have <laughs> you have been fine. Coach, let me just say quickly, one thing that um, I've been hearing around just the community, um, I talked to a guy, and he's got his last name is Waggles, right? And he said, he said, man, Coach – is doing a really good job. I don't know too much about him, but I like what I see with the players. Is that really a reflection of you when we see the enthusiasm, the energy, uh, this, I don't know, it's, I, don't, I don't know how to even describe it. I can't put my finger on it, but it's felt around the Carolinas. Is that primarily you? And your well, I, I, I think I, I think it starts with, with all of us as coaches, but particularly myself. Uh, I have a saying that, and I can't even take credit for it. Uh, I work with a great man by the name of Tyrone Willingham 
at the University of Notre Dame yep. as well as uh, Washington. And I learned from him that the speed of the pack is determined by the speed of the leader. So uh, I, I, I'm consistent each and every day. Uh, I, I come in there with the energy in the meetings. You got to understand these guys got a lot of distractions outside of football. So they're looking for direction. They looking for someone to lead them. And as coaches, we can't come in there uh, without the energy, you know, most important without the answers uh, mm. to, to, to their questions, you know, so uh, we got to be prepared each and every day. So uh, very consistent in, in, in my approach. Coach, I heard you earlier talking about, Hey, the next step is now winning on the road. Mm. It, it sounds really simple, right? Hey, w- win on the road, but what variables do you have to account for to prepare yourself well, to win uh, on the road? Well, well, particularly this particular week, you know, um, Seattle's a tough place to play. You know, uh, they have the, uh, the the nickname of the 12th man for a reason. Yes, they do. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's extremely loud in that particular stadium. Uh, Eugene will tell you that. Uh, so we got to make sure that, you know, our communication is, is, is flawless in how we go out there because you see teams, particularly offensively, you know, they're making so much noise when the offense is out there, false starts, you know, a lot of penalties. So uh, we have to create that mindset early. And uh, everything that I've been talking about this week, you know, we, we talk about trying to, you know, be a playoff caliber football team. Well, this is going to be a, a, a playoff caliber atmosphere. So, uh, you know, playoff mentality is one of the things that I've been emphasizing today is that, you know, if you, if you want to be a part of this, uh, you're going to feel it this weekend. So uh, let's get, get ready for the challenge. And, Coach, you've experienced some quarterbacks early. I'm looking at Burroughs, Mariota, and Lamar Jackson. Geno Smith, who comes in the mix, he's a different quarterback, but he kind of reminds me of that same quarterback who can move out of the pocket, find the find the throwing lanes. You can move him out where he can go ahead and, and put some work in. Does it, Do the fact that you've already um, faced some really mobile quarterbacks, does that give you – any solace and comfort knowing that your guys could contain the edge and put some pressure on someone like Geno Smith? Uh, yes. Yes, it does. You know, Geno has done an outstanding job. You know, you watch him on tape, and uh, he's definitely leading that offense. These guys, you know, they're ranked ninth overall, you know, averaging almost 361 yards a, a game. And then when you look at, you know, uh, where they rank for his past, and I think they're seventh, you know, with almost 225. So they're doing a great job of putting the ball in the air and spreading it around. And, Coach, let me just follow up on that. You got the deep ball that you got to be concerned about. And another thing that you already mentioned, the noise in that stadium is unlike anything that you've ever heard. It's like being in a, a big wind tunnel with, you know, B-52 planes just going off all day long. What are you going to do to prepare? Do you pump sound in? Do you get the guys uh, communicated? I mean, to communicate with hand signals across the board? Because I played in that in Seattle, and the stadiums have always been the loudest. Yes, you know, they, one of the things that we do, we, we definitely, uh, you know, pump the noise in. Uh, we practice with that. But as you just mentioned as well, we've got to do a great job with our nonverbal you know, with our hand signals and those kind of things, making sure that, you know, we're communicating and, and that we're all on the same page. So uh, that's what I talk about for is just that playoff atmosphere. It's just understanding uh, what it's going to take going into this kind of atmosphere. And, and Coach, uh, we got to make sure. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, Coach, and I wanted just to mention, mention that deep ball because as a defensive back, 
the communication, if it breaks down in that secondary at all, that deep ball can slip behind you. You thought you were in cover two, but you were in cover three. Man, you just messed up, and then Geno Smith finds that. So that's why that communication has to be tight. It has to be across the board. And, again, uh, Geno does a good job in, in pushing the ball down the field, as you mentioned earlier, you know, buying time with his legs, getting outside the pocket. But the one thing he does well is that he's still looking to throw the ball down the field. His eyes are down the field as he's still trying to maneuver to get outside the pocket. Coach, I'll leave you with this. And, and for the folks who didn't hear your press conference today, you had a bye week. You have a chance to rest up, heal some of those nicks and bruises from a health standpoint, where is this team now compared to a week ago? I think we are fairly healthy. You know, I will get a definite update on Wednesday, but for the, you know, the most part of what I've heard from um, from the trainers thus far, I think we're going to be in great shape moving forward this week. Coach, appreciate no it. Doubt, Look forward Coach. to talking to you later this week. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care now. That's Steve Wilkes, Panthers head coach, Carolina trying for that first road win this weekend, they go to Seattle. You made Oof. it, Eugene. I tell you, man, you get a little rain in Charlotte. People forget how to drive. <laughs> You're right about that. I didn't <laughs> make it. But once again, he's talking about in Seattle. It is one of the noisiest places that you've ever been. Yeah. Even when I was on the defensive side of the ball and I'm you know, calling the plays and this and that, everything was hand signals. Everything was nonverbal communication because you can't hear. And I'm literally, I am literally about three feet from you. I could be screaming at the top of my lungs and you won't be able to hear me. That's how loud it is down in that stadium. And so it's so important that this team, you get these nonverbals down now. Get the hand signals down now. If you get that down now, you're way ahead of the game. It's going to be important. Well, Eugene Robinson and Ishraf, if you're wondering where's Jim Zoki today, Zoki's got some important stuff to do. He is uh, hosting the Nagurski Awards that's right, he with is. Uh, NC State head coach Dave Doran. We will hear from Zoke later in the show. Uh, Jim spoke to Tay Hayes, one of the Panther cornerbacks. All that is ahead. We'll hear from Sam Franklin as well. We'll have Jordan Reed on to talk NFL draft. He covers the draft for ESPN. And Mina Kimes from NFL Live will join us as well. She's a big Seahawks fan, so we'll get into a lot of uh, Seattle intel with Mina. All that is ahead on the Carolina Panthers radio network. This is Panther Talk on the Carolina Panthers radio network. Brought to you by Bank of America, official bank of the Carolina Panthers. Anish Raff, Eugene Robinson, back with you. Segment two of Panther Talk, and let's talk a little draft. We bring in Jordan Reed. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jordan underscore Reed, R-E-I-D, ESPN NFL draft analyst, college football writer. Uh, Jordan, thanks for joining the program. And I know everybody always wants to talk quarterbacks. Yes, I wanna, they do. I want to zoom out a little bit first if we can. In this upcoming draft, from your standpoint, is there a consensus number one prospect regardless of position? Uh, well, first and foremost, good evening, guys. Thank you for having <laughs> me on, as always. But um, absolutely, there is not right now. Coming into the year, Alabama defensive end, Will Anderson Jr. was considered to be that guy. You heard him in the same realm as guys like Miles Garrett, the Bosa's, Chase Young. And he's played well this year, even though the numbers haven't been as great. But Jalen Carter from Georgia has just been better this year. We've seen him make the splash plays in the big games, every single one that they have played. But it really just depends on preference. 
But for right now, based on what I'm hearing, it's either Will Anderson Jr. from Alabama or Jalen Carter from Georgia at the top. Now, this was thought of as a quarterback-heavy class coming into the season. But when you look at it now, do you see a bona fide franchise-changing QB in this class? Well, I think there's two guys at the top. That is the consensus right now with C.J. Stroud of Ohio State and then also Bryce Young of Alabama. But as we see every year, whenever a quarterback has the draft-eligible lights that I like to say shined on them, you start to see some holes poked into them. We're seeing that with Bryce Young with his size. Listed at six foot, 195 pounds. But all three of us can sit here and say that we don't know if he's going to reach those numbers. Mm, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) And then also with C.J. Stroud, the biggest thing you worry about with him is just the off-script mobility. Can he play in ad-lib when things don't go as scheduled? So there's plenty of holes to pick in all these guys, but those are the two guys at the top right now. Where do you land, Jordan? Where do you land when you look at Bryce Young? And I want to talk about just his ability because I I liken him a little bit to – Stephen Curry. When Stephen Curry left out of Charlotte Christian, after the coach at Charlotte Christian, he was about six feet tall, 145, 50 pounds, maybe, maybe. And he looked so young that everybody said he can't take the pounding. He won't take the pounding what it looks like when he gets to college. And then when he gets to the NBA, he can't take the pounding. Well, he's fooled everybody. He's taking the pounding. And he's the only the best shooter that we've ever seen in our lifetime. So... When I look at Bryce Young, I'm going, is he kind of like Stephen Curry-like a little bit? Or what I do see in him is that he may be too fragile for the NFL. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that just because when I'm doing my summer scouting of these guys, I like to write down at the top of my paper when I'm doing these scouting reports of just an NFL comparison that I can use for all these guys. But Bryce Young is what's called an outlier in the scouting community. Of He just doesn't have a comparison just because of the size and then just the type of game that he brings to the table. But I think Steph Curry is spot on just because when you think about Steph, him going ninth overall, I believe it was in that draft, everybody just continued to poke holes in him. And then what I think everybody lost sight of is that what Steph could be at the next level and that he's just a gamer. He doesn't have the physical size that you look for, but he has the charisma and he just gets the job done. And that's what I like to say with Bryce Young. Yes, he's small. He's been my QB1 since the summer. I'm glad everybody's coming on board now. It makes me feel a little bit better. But um, with Bryce Young, I mean, I just love everything about him. And, and Jordan, quickly, let me, Jordan, let me quickly, what about the academics, too? We talk about the football IQ, yeah. but there's academics that you do as a quarterback. When you drop back, you look to your either right, left, or your first, first receiver, second, third. He seems to me, as a defensive back, I got to say he checks the boxes because he's able to scan the field quickly and know exactly where he needs to go to with that ball. Yeah, so there's a three-step process that I grade on every quarterback. is C, process, and react. Which one are they doing well? Which one are they not doing so well? And then is there some certain types of improvements that they can make in each category? I think Bryce Young is an outstanding seer of the field. He diagnoses coverages. He does a great job of getting a pre-snap pitcher and then also a post-snap pitcher. He does an outstanding job of processing. And then we all know he's just one-on-one as far as when he's reacting to everything. And I'll just say this about Bryce Young. If you think about Alabama and just the receivers that they have had in years past, all yeah. those first-round picks, or there's Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, the list goes on and on yes. these guys that they have had in previous years. Bryce Young's leading receiver this year was his running back, Jameer Gibbs. He led him in receiving yards and then also catches. So he's uplifting this supporting cast that we're not accustomed to seeing at Alabama. So that just those type of breadcrumbs lead me to being a franchise quarterback with Bryce Young. So I like Bryce a lot. 
okay. You know where this is going next because he announced today that he's turning pro. That's Anthony Richardson. I had a chance to watch him in person in that Florida-Florida State game Thanksgiving weekend. And, Jordan, there were times where we're sitting back going, wow, he did that and he dragged four guys and he made that throw and he's got a howitzer. And then, you know, he he misfires on 11 straight passes and goes – almost two and a half quarters without completing a throw, and you're thinking he needs another year. So how do you evaluate a guy like Anthony Richardson where the physical tools are, wow, the production has been meh? He, he's going to be the most highly debated prospect, regardless of position in this draft process, just because six foot four, 240 pounds, he has all of the physical traits that you look for. If you're creating a player on Madden, you're going to recreate <laughs> Anthony Richardson, but he's just so raw right now, guys. He's raw in every sense of the word just because he just hasn't played a lot of football. And I know a lot of people said he started games last year, but I don't even count that just because he didn't even know if he was going to go into a certain series as the starter just because him and Emory Jones, when he was at Florida, they were rotating every two series back and forth, and he had no idea when he was going to go on the field. As a quarterback, it's just really hard to go into games thinking that way. So this year was really his first year preparing as a starter, but with Anthony Richardson, the best way that I can describe it, he's a plane ride with endless turbulence. He's a he's a what you said? He's a plane ride with endless turbulence. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of turbulence on that plane, but the end destination could be a vacation spot, or it could be somewhere else where you don't want to go. So. There's going to be so many things about Anthony Richardson, but he's just raw. He just hasn't played a lot of football. But the key for Anthony and what I hope happens to him is that he goes to a team that can be patient with him. Just because if he goes to a situation where he has to play right now, I think it's going to be a disaster. Well, and this was talking to me about early, talking about he's a system guy. You have to have this guy in the right system if he's going to go ahead and prevail or, or excel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every, every quarterback is a system quarterback. I hate using the word system just because every quarterback can excel in a certain system. But I think he has to be in a system that's very similar to what the Eagles are doing with Jalen Hurts right now. You have to run him just because he that's, that's his comfort zone. Whenever he can use his legs in games, whether that's design quarterback runs or just creating outside of the pocket, that's where he's at his best. So I think you should run him at least eight to ten times a game like the Eagles are doing with Hurts. But also you have to surround him with a really good infrastructure, too, up front and then also the surrounding weapons, too. I like the description. Airplane with endless turbulence. turbulence. The question <laughs> is, where do we land? Do we land in Tahiti or no? are we landing in El Paso? <laughs> there you go. That's, that's going to be the big thing about Richardson. Uh, Jordan, great insight. Um, we look forward to following your I like Bryce here. Young, too, by the way. Too, by the way. In the months ahead is um, – you know, we all talk about the draft, and I think something that's important to remember, you know, that quarterback, that franchise quarterback, doesn't always happen in the first five picks. Sometimes you get him later. Sometimes you get him outside of the first round. Like like Tom Brady. Like Tom Brady. Jordan, appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you, guys, as always. Thank you. Jordan Reed, NFL draft analyst from ESPN. Still a lot of season to play. But, you know, there seems to be, I think, from some of the Panther fans, you know, this sentiment that uh, you have to take a quarterback, you have to take a quarterback. Clearly it's a position that's going to be addressed in the offseason, but yeah. you got to take the right quarterback because if you don't, you're back in the same situation. You're back in the same situation a year from now. And, and this is what I think is the genius of, of, of Coach Wilkes because Coach Wilkes has made some really tough decisions. Okay, we're talking about Robbie Anderson. Good receiver, no doubt about that. You let Baker Mayfield, okay, you release him. You let a couple of coaches go. You let another coach go, right? 
Those are tough decisions. And then you got to be able to make the tough decisions. So I'm confident that when he's in the war room looking at what players is going to take, he's going to be able to make the right decision. You know why? Because he's accustomed to making tough decisions. He's also won two of the last three games with three different quarterbacks. Yes. Just process that for a moment. It was P.J. Walker that Thursday night against Atlanta, right? Rain-soaked game, run-heavy approach. Then he gets hurt. Baker starts against Baltimore. Offense can't do anything. Sam Darnold's the guy against Denver. Steve Wilkes has figured out, okay, this is the personnel I have. We're going to play to the personnel that we have. We're not going to try to be red when we're sitting here and we're green. Absolutely. And that's, and that's, what, I, that's what I like about as a coach – you can appreciate that as the player to the coach. You can appreciate that because you know what you're going to get. He's trying to maximize my yes, skill set. You know what you're going to. You know yeah. what you're going to get. You know, and so I, I I like that. And also, he gives you some of the autonomy to do your job, to so that you, you know, like he's not micromanaging you, but he still has a firm hand. Love him. We heard from Steve Wilkes. We heard from Jordan Reed. We'll still hear from Tay Hayes, Mina Kimes, Sam Franklin. All ahead. On Panther Talk, you're listening to the Carolina Panthers Radio Network. This is Panther Talk on the Carolina Panthers Radio Network. Brought to you by Coke, official fan refreshment of the Carolina Panthers. Robinson playing up in the box this time. Zappy the snap moves the pocket oh, yeah. left. It's intercepted. Far sideline. Tay Hayes tiptoe in the sideline. 10. Five, he's in. Talking with the Panthers, Tay Hayes, special teamer, cornerback, and uh, got here late in the season. How's the adjustment been getting in with the guys here in Carolina? Uh, it's been pretty good, going pretty smooth. Uh, yeah, I mean, most of the, I mean, it's been pretty simple for the most part. The game plan hasn't been too crazy, so everything's been going pretty smooth for the most part. Of course, there's been a number of injuries back there, but opportunities for guys like you as well. Did you feel like that's been a good spot for you as far as jumping in with a team that uh, has been rotating guys in and out of the lineup? Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you hate to see guys go down like that, but, I mean, it's definitely time for other guys to step up and other guys do need to step up. And uh, I think I'll definitely have some more opportunities coming later on in the season and the next few games. So, yeah. What's it like having a guy like Xavier Rhodes back there and some, some veteran guys like that? Obviously, lose Dante as far as one of the veteran guys go, but uh, nice mix of young and old, but uh, someone like Xavier, a big influence for you guys? Yeah, it's good. It's good having guys like that that have been around for a while, been on different teams, so they know how they know how to, how it all works. They know how, I mean, what you what you should do, what you should not do. So, you know, and they give us good leadership, and they're always talking. So that's that, Xavier's good for us. Even though Coach Wilkes is a head coach now, does he still keep an extra little – Sharp eye on the defensive secondary since that's kind of his, his home group back there? He's always back there. <laughs> he's always back there. Even when you think he's over watching the offense, he's still looking down what we're doing. So, yeah, he, yeah, he's always around. What's he like to play for as a head coach? And obviously he's got that experience with Arizona in the past, but uh, having him in your positions group and now having him as head coach, what's that been like? It's been good. I mean, I because mean, he's definitely he – was, was with the DBs first, so, you know, just having somebody like that watching now he's got eyes all around the field now but he's still with the dbs i mean you kind of just like expect more out of the dbs like our role increases so you know i mean that i mean it's big time and and we, and we need it and and i mean it should 
if you're a real player, you're gonna, you you like stuff like that. So, so of course, he treats all his players the same. But you guys have that Appalachian State bond. Uh, do you guys ever have a moment just to kind of check out what's going on with the Mountaineers and talk a little college football? We do, we do. We'll, we'll stop by and, and talk with each other about the game, especially after games like the uh, Saturdays and Sundays. We'll, we'll kind of chat about it, like, uh, what you think and stuff like that. And uh, that's cool. I mean, I mean, I mean, I've never had a coach in the NFL from App State, so I mean, having that going on, that is cool for me to see. So, I, and I appreciate that. Back with more on Panther Talk after this. This is Panther Talk on the Carolina Panthers Radio Network. Brought to you by Atrium Health. Because you deserve to live your best life, and we're here to help. Back here on Panther Talk and Ashraf, Eugene Robinson. And we bring in a special guest, Mina Kimes. You know her from NFL Live, where she's an NFL analyst. You see her on Around the Horn, PTI, First Take, podcasts in print, and a very got it going on. deserving nominee for National Sportscaster of the Year. Did, did I miss anything, Mina? Hello? Okay, dude. Oh, there okay, you are. Okay, okay. yep. We couldn't hear you for a moment. We oh, gave man. you the great oh, intro. Oh, no, and... we got to start that intro all over again. We gave you the big so intro, and, and I said, oh, she, she's not responding. We must have missed something. <laughs> nope, I'm here. Well, Mina, you know, you guys do a great job on NFL Live, I think, getting into some of the, the nuanced trends of – what's going on in the NFL. One of them, which is germane to us in Panther country, is what you guys talked about a few weeks ago. Teams running the football more this year. If you zoom out, what have you noticed in what is perceived to be a quarterback, pass-heavy, pass-driven league? What are you now seeing with this maybe revolution taking place with the run game? Well, I'll start by saying the best defense are the ones who can both run and pass. So, you know, it definitely um, reflects, I think, the fact that the most efficient offenses are complete and can succeed against different sorts of looks. But, uh, you know, Dan noticed that rushing efficiency on early downs was up, and we kind of got to talking about why and, you know, found that there were a few reasons responsible for that. Uh, Some of it has to do with the style of players prioritized by defenses in recent years. I would say since about 2012 or so, um, as you saw teams passing more on early downs and spreading things out, defenses had to get lighter as well. And, you know, you started seeing more sub packages, Nichols' new base, right? And so in response to that, naturally, if you have a team that can run block well, and has a good power running game, there's an advantage there where there wasn't in the past. The other thing you've seen in recent years against these high-powered offenses is defenses playing more of those two high safety looks. And again, that's something that's very amenable to the run. So for me, it's just about having that as a change-up because there's a personnel advantage and a schematic one that wasn't there in the past. Is this... I'm always, I've always thought this, this is Eugene, I've always thought that this is still a quarterback-driven league. Despite having a good running game, if you got a good quarterback, you definitely put yourself in the conversation of being in the playoffs and possibly winning the Super Bowl. But if your quarterback is iffy at all, then you're out of the conversations and then you're looking for a new quarterback in the draft. So where do you stand on the, the quarterback? Is this a quarterback-driven league or not? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, when you look at the most efficient offenses in football, I would say outside of Cleveland, um, it is the the offenses that have gotten the most out of the quarterbacks and the offenses that have elite quarterbacks. You really don't see, um, I, I would say, that many offenses that succeed without one. I think you have seen surprisingly good quarterback play from likes of, I don't know, Geno Smith or <laughs> improvement from, you know, Tua Tungabailoa in Miami, for example. Um, but for the most part, uh, you know, when, uh, when we talk about the run, again, it, it, it's more about being complete. Like, you look at a team like Philadelphia, guys, it's such a dominant rushing attack. Uh, what makes them so good, though, is when they go up against a team like the Titans this weekend that has one of the best run defenses in the NFL, they can switch things up and yeah. air it out. And I think that's just the key um, for the top offenses is being able to do both. You brought up Geno Smith. I know the Seahawks are near and dear to your heart. We're talking with Mina Kimes. You can follow her on Twitter at Mina Kimes. You probably already do. Mina, what what have the Seahawks unlocked in Geno Smith this year? Man, if I knew the answer to that, (laughs) I would have told the Seahawks to start him years ago or some other team, frankly, right, because many other teams had the opportunity um, it's an interesting question, guys, because I think when you watch him, you see some of the things you saw in his spot starts last season. He did start three games, and Russell Wilson was out with an injury. He's a very accurate quarterback. He throws a really beautiful deep ball. Uh, he's tough. But what you're seeing this year that you didn't see in the past, I would say, is incredible play under pressure, uh, the ability to create outside the pocket. Um, sort of a second second reaction ability that I hadn't really seen from him in the past. And then just an incredible level of confidence. I mean, he throws more tight window throws week to week than just about any quarterback in the NFL. And while it's not always perfect, you know, he does put the ball in harm's way every now and then. The upside has been there to the point where he's not just, you know, operating the offense, he's elevating it. To go back to this weekend's game, he leads that drive late to beat the Rams. Yes, he did. When you look at that game, do you jump to conclusions considering the Rams were without Aaron Donald and or without Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson? Or you know, when you dive into the film, which I know you do, is there things there where you say, no, th- th- this was Geno making plays? Uh, yeah, I, I think that – Gino making plays was a big part of why the offense was successful near the end, even against a rather, you know, a Rams defense missing a lot of players. Um, and, and he's not why they struggled in that game. I mean, there, there, there was turnover, and I think the run game was up and down. They were down, they had a lot of injuries at um, running back, but they struggled in that game. The reason it was close was because of their defense. And this is really the formula for a Carolina upset. If one were to, ha- I say upset, I actually don't, I assume Seattle's favored it, but if it were to happen, it would be because of Carolina's success on the ground. Uh, the Seahawks defense had a few weeks where it looked like things tightened up against the run, but you know, against the Bucks in Munich, you saw a lot of the lapses you saw earlier in the defense, uh, pardon me, earlier in the season, just, kind of basic struggles, lapses, and fitting the run, uh, missed tackles, bad angles. And I think that's something that I would be concerned for in this Carolina game, given how well you guys are running the ball. And I'm glad you um, I'm glad you mentioned the defense of the Seattle Seahawks because when I look at the numbers, 155 yards, giving up rushing, that's very, very tough. You can't – it's hard to live like that. And then 227 on top of that passing – 
that's tough. And then when we almost at 45%, almost 50% really of on third down con- uh, conversions, that is huge. And so from that standpoint, I think the Achilles heel of the Seattle Seahawks is their defense. And I think if the Panthers' offense is anywhere near hitting all cylinders, I think this game could be a major upset game in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, and those numbers were against a Rams offense that's been atrocious. I forget the fact that they're starting a backup quarterback in John Wolford. This is one of the worst, if not the worst, rushing attacks in the NFL. So for them to come into Seattle and have success on the ground, I think really speaks to um, some of the issues they have on that side of the ball. I think coupled with running the ball for Carolina, uh, you know, it's very, very important that Sam Darnold practices ball security in this one, obviously coming off of a good one-game performance, but that's something that, of course, he has struggled with at times in the past. You guys saw that last year on display. Uh, and I think Seattle does turn the ball. I mean, they, they have a couple of players in the secondary, one being Tariq, both rookies, actually, Tariq Willen and Kobe Bryant, who are playmakers. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Darnold avoids Willen altogether in this one because he just can't turn the ball over. Yeah, and Panthers last mm-hmm. week, I mean, basically just came out 13 personnel, ran the ball, ran the ball, uh, what, almost 45 <laughs> times. Um, I'll leave you with this, Mina. Uh, news of the day in, in the Carolinas was the release of Baker Mayfield with the injury to Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, one can kind of connect the dots a little bit, but do you see a landing spot for Baker Mayfield this season? You know, it's tricky because obviously the timing with San Francisco and the fact that they're leaning on a seventh round draft pick does seem like a natural spot, but uh, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, well, I don't really think this is a controversial opinion. Baker really has not played well this year. Um, and it seems like a one-for-one a one one going from Cleveland, the Cleveland offense, where, you know, it, it, it's sort of similar in its DNA to what we think of being the San Francisco offense, but the Niners offense has evolved a lot. It's not just that under center boot play action zone running that he's used to. So I don't know if they'll take a flyer on him. I mean, you've got teams like the Colts and the Saints picking in front of them, but it might be a it might be a wait and see situation where a team doesn't even want to pay that million dollars plus and just waste to see how things shake out. And it sounds like a no to me, as you were saying. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> we'll to see. Me. We'll, well see. I, well, no, I, no, I agree. I agree with that. you. I agree with you. I think that's a a big stretch to go ahead and, and pick up a Baker Mayfield when you already came from Cleveland and then you didn't have the same success that you had in Cleveland here in the Carolinas and then you leave, then it's hard for another team to say, take a chance or, unless you're down so many quarterbacks. I mean, the reality is, here in Charlotte, here for the Panthers, off the field with his teammates in the locker room, you know, Baker Mayfield changed a lot of perceptions about who he was. On the field, he's been historically bad. Yeah, and, 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 when, and you're not, I'm not trying to be mean about it. It's just that it's, it's the numbers the are what, the say, stats, yeah. what they so. are. So I agree with you. Mina, appreciate it. As always, continued success. Uh, look forward to watching you, and, and you pop up everywhere. So I'll see you somewhere. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Mina Kimes, uh, the, the master of all over at ESPN, joining us. Uh, good insight on the Seahawks. Good insight on some of the trends in the NFL. Uh, we're back. We have an interview still with Sam Franklin. Chance to make the all-pro team and maybe a, a Pro Bowl as a special <laughs> team's a ace. He's had a terrific season, and he's been making some plays, getting some reps in the defensive backfield as well. We'll hear from Sam Franklin coming up here on the Carolina Panthers Radio Network. 
This is Panther Talk on the Carolina Panthers Radio Network. Brought to you by Bank of America, official bank of the Carolina Panthers. Wilson takes the snap, quick screen. Montreal Washington driven all the way back to the one-yard line. And this is a guy that I, I love, Sam Franklin. He spent most of his time this year on special teams. They line up in a three-by-one set, a bunch look. Quick bubble screen outside. Sam Franklin beats the blocker, makes a play. Here with Panthers special teams ace and defensive back Sam Franklin. Sam, these last few weeks, what's it been like having an expanded role beyond special teams and seeing some reps on defense as well? Um, it's been really good. Um, I mean, just getting a chance to come in and um, help out the guys and help us try to win games. You know, it's, it's just everything that you want, um, just growing into a different role. Um, it's a bit challenging sometimes, but, you know, I, I'm happy that the coaches have faith in me. Who do you lean on for the defensive stuff? Um, Chen is a good person to go to. He, he's very educated. Um, X is an experienced vet. He's going to stay ahead of the sticks and what the offense is doing. Um, it's a couple of guys in our room that you can just really turn to. And then Shaq is um, probably the biggest guy that you want to go to when you want to know something because he has the scheme down packed. He knows where everybody should be. Um, and he, he also knows what the offense is trying to do to us. So um, those three guys right there, pretty much if I have any questions, I'm asking them firsthand just so I know exactly what I'm doing and have no doubts. We always hear about Xavier Woods and his ability as a communicator. What does that look like from where you stand? Um, he's like the quarterback in back there. Like He's telling you like where you need to go next after this, after that. He's dang near telling you what's going to happen before it happens sometimes. So... It's just like it's just like you don't have to think it's hard and you don't have to, you know, overthink things sometimes because he's already making the call. He's already moving. You've had a sensational season as a gunner. Tell us how you embraced that role. Um, I think Coach Tabor is one guy who, who helped me, like, really get to the next level. He, he, he comes in and he challenges me every week um, just to be competitive. Um, and that's that's something that I need every week because no matter how I did the week before or anything like that, he comes back with the same attitude of, all right, that was good, but I need you to I need you to improve on this. So it's something that I got to learn every week. And um, even when I do think I have a great game, he always teaches me something new. Sam, the guys in the radio during the broadcast, we've talked about you. Hey, you've made a case for the Pro Bowl. What would that mean? Um, it would mean everything just because I come from a small town and um, – I know those people back there, everything that I do, they feels like they did it too. So, I mean, it would just feel good to go back home and have those guys and have those, and have those people back home get that opportunity to see me there. So, I mean, it would be great. Well, we hope you get there, Sam. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Panther Talk continues on the Carolina Panthers radio network. Broadcast Roundtable is brought to you by Sitco. Keep your engine clean with tri-clean Sitco gasoline. Sitco, let's go together. Anish Roff, Eugene Robinson, couple of minutes here in this uh, in this show. Eugene, we get ready for Seattle. We get ready to try to win one on the road. Man, this, this is a game. If they can win this and get on a win streak with the state of the NFC South being what it is. Yes. And home games against Pittsburgh and Detroit, I'm telling you, yes. you got a real chance to go into the new year with a playoff bid to play for. It sounds crazy when Dead you're 4-8, and eight, but if you can find a way to beat Seattle, who is a bona fide team this year, 
all of a sudden it gives you a lot of confidence to beat two teams who you should have a really good shot of beating in Pittsburgh and Detroit. Well, don't forget, Seattle's defense is a little porous, and that's where I think you can go and gain some currency. I think that, Sam Downer, you got to be able to take advantage of this this defense that you're going to face. And then I think our defense is good enough to hang with the likes of Lockett, with the likes of DK Metcalf, with the likes of Geno Smith. And so I like what we bring on defensively because – we're going to need our best defensive effort against this team because it's going to be loud in that stadium, and you got to shut them down. Yeah, the two receivers, Metcalf and Lockett, worry you. Kenneth Walker, who looked like maybe the rookie of the year front runner, he got banged up. He didn't play this weekend, yep. so we'll watch his status. He's the rookie out of Michigan State. You also know from having played there, not in that stadium, but you know Seattle. Loud. Yeah, the noise. Loud. It is absolutely. Fans, it is loud. It's one of the loudest places you've ever been. It's that loud. You got to scream, and that way you got to go ahead and do all. Do they pump in artificial noise? No, they do not. You're not allowed to. No, they do not at all. It's loud. I have a conspiracy theory, however. All right, more of that on the air this Sunday. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury: the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 